Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Real World Road Tests on RadioLeMans.com. Hello and welcome to our Real World Road Tests. I'm saying, ah, oh, it's me, Nick Damon and... Johnny Palmer, Hello. And we are here to do one of those real world road tests on a Peugeot 3008. What's that I hear you ask? What's that, Nick? <laughs> well, it's the car of the year. So the Peugeot 3008 that somehow beat out the Alfa Romeo Giulia become car of the year earlier in 2017. And we are lucky enough to be uh, driving one of these. And we have got the 1.6D Nav in a beautiful yet perhaps slightly optimistic colour which they're calling Sunset Copper. Um, how would you assess the actual colour, Johnny? It's almost like Austin Maestro brown, I would suggest. It is a brown colour. Copper or, what was the other posh name? Sunset orange. Basically, it's 70s brown with a bit of kind of metallic in it. But, as we know, 70s colours are back in again. The car is very much in the modern design. It's a uh, slightly high-riding sort of crossover machine. The uh, the big sector which is dominated in a lot of Europe by the Nissan Qashqai. And that's very much what this car has in its sight. It's quite a handsome beast. It has it carries on the modern edging. It's got a kind of a big cheese grater grille with a Peugeot lion resplendent across it. A big flat, almost semi-clamshell bonnet reminiscent of... Well, I'm sure they want me to say it's reminiscent of a, of a Range Rover. I'm sure it's only slightly. And then a, a number of uh, details finishing. It swoops, it moves, it's quite edgy. And it has a, you know, a, a flowing side. It's got some, some quite attractive wheel arch blisters. At the rear we have some, I call them futuristic. I suppose it's futuristic if you live in the 80s sort of lights. Um, but overall, it's quite a handsome machine, given the fact it has to, to be to certain standards, not to have a certain height for pedestrian safety. That's, that's my opinion. I quite like the look of the car. It has grown on me, and I do think perhaps not in Sunset Copper it'd be an even better car. Johnny, what your impressions looks-wise? I would agree. It is a good-looking car. This is the, the sort of type of car that Peugeot are going for now. If you compare this to the older, say, 206, very different lines. But as you say, the grille is Peugeot-esque of the last five years or so. It's similar to the 308 there's also the they do the 208 as well it, it looks sporty it does look very land rover-esque i would say i thought we, we, we thought uh, we might have a range rover when i saw it from the side and then i realized blimey it's a peugeot it's a reasonably big car but so far i like it yeah well just you know following around the, the outside I mean, you do have it it's a reasonably high spec version of the car so you do have some quite attractive alloys with i suppose they called them diamond cut don't they when they're kind of etched out like this in in various different colors it's disc brakes all around as i'm sure just about every single modern car is now uh, a big sign saying gas oil only have a quick look in the boot the boot has quite a, quite a high loading lip so if you're you know looking to get uh, anything beyond um, bags in there you're going to be sorely disappointed in fact really for what is quite a large footprint of a car that is not a massive boot, and more importantly, there's no way this is going to be a seven-seater. There may be a long wheelbase version that come out to be a seven-seater, but it's yeah. I'm sure this is pretty much class size, and it has got a big flat boot liner, which underneath has a space saver spare and some stuff, but uh, and then more space there for hidden shopping. So if you went to Lidl's and you wanted to put all your boots down the bottom, no problem at all there. But the boot floor is kind of level with the bottom of the tailgate, so there's no depth to the boot, and equally, it doesn't go into the car too much either. Famously. Uh, and due to much Mickey taking, I have a 1950s suitcase that I often bring on these trips. I had real difficulty getting in one of those standard suitcases. It, yeah, we, we put it in lengthways in the end, and it only just fit. 
it, this is a you know a, an SUV style car, sized car, and the boot's a little disappointing, I'd say. You know, if you're going on a trip to Austria for the weekend, it's perfectly fine. Unless all your all your guests are the same size as Joe Bradley. All right, so we're moving on now to the uh, the inside of the car, and we'll open the door in a second. Radio Lamont.com. So as we now move towards the driver's door, the excitement almost palpable. First thing I have noticed, I didn't see before, we have got privacy glass at the rear end, and that actually does help with the mixture of the sunset copper uh, and quite a lot of quite a lot of chrome features. Um, a handsome machine uh, for modern car, I think. So we're walking, and we are met by what can only be described as a techno fest and in many ways a let's see how many different types of material we can get in the car at the same time because we're going to count them and from the bottom we have hard plastic we have the kind of soft material on the armrest so your your outside door armrest um, has a sort of soft material you expect to find in a poang from Ikea then we come up with some strange rubberized fake carbon fibre on the door Child-friendly, I would suggest. <laughs> yes, no danger there. And then we come into the actual, uh, above that more cheap plastic, the dash itself is quite slightly softer plastic. It's got a bit of smoosh in it. Uh, multi-function level. And, the, and the, so the, uh, the seats themselves are grey, lighter grey, darker grey, patchy grey, lighter grey with orange stitching. So they really have missed out nothing uh, when they threw in the palette. And there's even some uh, piano black plastic and some leatherette as well. So effectively what they have said is... You know, don't bother choosing a trim. We're going to put all the trims in there at the same time. But, oddly, rather an attractive and cohesive experience. No, it kind of works, doesn't it? And they, they, as you say, they, they've not really settled on a theme, <laughs> but the multi-theme does work. I hope that this coloured thread changes depending on which uh, colour bodywork you get, because the thread matches the sunset orange. Yes, and good point. Actually, they have, they have, I've not noticed this. They have, they've continued to thread into the... Um, uh, the stitching on the steering wheel and um, your eye is drawn to the whole driver's binnacle area because it's, A, it's very futuristic B, it, this has, I believe, the smallest steering wheel I have ever seen in a production car also, going back to our British Leyland uh, mentions early on it is a Quartic steering wheel so derided in the Austin Allegro in the 1970s it is virtually square it is, it, it, it is tiny and square and looks like the sort of thing that a 17-year-old would put on an Austin Mini about uh, 15 years ago and Therefore, lock-to-lock feels like a very short distance. It feels like you can sort of master this car more like more akin to driving a cart. <laughs> we'll move on to its driving styles later on, but it is a strange experience. It takes you about half an hour to really get used to how manoeuvrable this thing can be because the steering wheel is, is what, about 10 inches across? It's, it's absolutely tiny. I mean, I've got, I drive an Audi SQ5 that's got a kind of a smaller than normal steering wheel, and I got in that and I thought, where is it? And if you start driving, once you go around half a turn, you're holding those two narrowest pieces. You think you're just holding a stick, like a tiller from a 1904 Delac. Um, sitting in, um, you are met, as is the modern way, by a plethora of screens. To my right is the. It's very much a divided um, situation with the, between the driver and the passenger. There's a huge uh, central column. Obviously, this is front wheel drive, but it's carrying um, obviously the gear shift lever, some, a lot of storage bins. But basically, it's designed to keep you apart, you know. And, and, and Joe's very happy about that, aren't you, Joe? Uh, yeah, sorry. There he is. He's, he's, reading, a, he's, reading, a, he's reading a book about cops. Um, so it's a double. It's a kind of a, t- a double le- level to the um, the binnacle. It kind of comes up. There's a number of uh, again. We have, have uh, chrome plastic to add to our internal for for core switching of the uh, uh, the infotainment system. There's a run of. Uh, the carbon fibre-esque rubber, and then kind of a red on the then you hit the, the, the upper instrument binnacle, which has a TFT screen. So you're actually, all your dials are on a soft TFT screen as they become the norm by now. It's a, an interesting and attractive place to be. 
first thing you notice is when you get the, the you turn the engine on is you have the uh, the binnacle comes up and you have a choice of screens now I've currently got it on speedo and revcam the traditional way with a fuel in the left hand side and a temperature in the right hand side the interesting thing for me is that the rev counter even though it's virtual and not real goes what we would call the wrong way it goes anti-clockwise which reminds me of a car I used to have called a Fiat X19 used to that as well Johnny so this is about all we can do is do back references to the 70s I know I wasn't even born in the 70s <laughs> but I, I get, I'm getting all these references certainly it, I mean you don't have to have it on that setting so I mean that's quite cool that it's, it's so versatile you can have the satellite navigation for instance uh, telling you which turn to take next you don't know what speed you're doing up until that corner but then you select dials and well there isn't actually there's a tiny speedometer isn't there having not driven this properly on the road we did a couple of track laps earlier on but i was paying more attention to my apices (laughs) so you have a number number of choices you have um, a one where it's all about the sat nav one where it's a mixture of sat nav and uh, speedo which is a slight problem we've got a rev counter there's one here which is basically as little as you're possibly legally allowed to have which is the speedo and that's it and then there's one which is kind of called personal which you could actually set on the infotainment system which allows you to mix and match the various things on this particular one uh, on the left hand side it has the a small version of sat nav on the right hand side it has a kind of the digital readout of miles per gallon and trip meter and everything else. So it's a very, very flexible system. That is the instrument binnacle TFT. Next to that is the, um, the sat-nav and the Bluetooth and everything else. This, has, this machine I found has Apple CarPlay. I found that out because I connected my Apple to it. Now, at this point, I, I'm not going to give you a long-running uh, uh, introduction to Apple CarPlay because I don't know how it works. Apart from that, it would, it would happily play... Uh, from my Spotify list, which is great, as we were running through Matt Munro yesterday. So, effectively, if you are an info geek and you want to have that in your Qashqai equivalent crossover from Persia, you have got everything you want. Now, I'm assuming from this, this is not, so it's the D-NAV, so the NAV, uh, certainly in Europe, is obviously a, a particular trim range which gives you all of this. One thing I would say is I've driven a lot of cars, but I think we all would be lucky enough to drive a lot of cars. We didn't find it the most intuitive system, did we? Presumably it comes with a manual, and typically men, we didn't look at the manual. So you're then just faffing around, pressing buttons to try and work out how the thing operates. Eventually, through a course of trial and error, we did eventually get there, but, but there was a difficulty in not being just not able to get off the radio setting and retune to various FM stations, and you couldn't get out of that back 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 still in the radio setting but there was eventually we found there was a navigation button yeah. on the dash is that right yeah i mean that's the thing is the, the, you have a lovely touchscreen navigation system that's sitting there permanently uh, erect and everything to go but the fact is that one thing you can't do on that screen is change what it actually is so it's, if it's being a radio it stays a radio if it's being navigated it's navigation that is on a separate row of plasticky chrome buttons so it's kind of like well, we're going we're to mix the tactile with the touchscreen and those buttons remind me of a mini Casio keyboard I used to have as a child. So you've got, what is it, seven silver keys. And it's, is it those keys that depress, or is it the buttons between that select? No, it's, it's those keys, OK, that sort of semi-hang off that central portion just in front of the gearbox. It'll be something that you get to grips with very, very quickly indeed. But, yeah, as we, as we got in the car for the first time, it did take us a little while. And, of course, just in case you were, you were, you were sad and you didn't have one, there is one rotary knob as well. Because they want to have everything. There's one rotary knob, which is the main volume switch. So, of course, that is replicated on the steering wheel. There are steering wheel commands for, even this tiny steering wheel, which can change most of the key elements. Um, There's a relatively confusing set of cruise controls as well, and then the rest of it's standard with automatic windscreen rolls. So, pretty standard stuff. The major criticism I have about the interior, it's a comfortable place to be. You've got a reach and rake adjustable steering wheel. You've got a very uh, high adjustable seat. You can get a very comfortable driving position. All of us drove around the track early, and all of us got comfortable. The big problem with this car is 
the location of the gear lever in its relation to the rest of, to both you and the rest of things in the car. It is a very it's a six speed box on this. This is manual. It's very stubby. It's also very high up. So to give you an idea that actually, if I am driving, I have to actually reach up slightly to get to the gearbox. You're thinking, well, that's not a problem. But it's not mounted into the fascia where this wouldn't be proper. It's actually mounted straight down as it would be in a normal gearbox, quite a forward. The problem is, it's actually covered. It's actually in a, in a in this console where behind it is two cup holders and then in a little cup, quite a large cubby hole. But it means that if you actually put any drinks in the cup holders, you can't actually change gear because you can't get your elbow back. And even without the drinks, you can't either. And it's very obvious to me that this car is designed for an automatic transmission. And you had an automatic transmission lever in there, which is a fit and forget, move it once, park, drive, reverse, it would be perfect. But it's a manual transmission, which you have to stir quite a lot. And we'll come more into that um, when we do the driving test part of this. This is a major problem. I know, Johnny, you had an issue that even in your two or three laps around the track. It's the height of the trans- transmission tunnel, and then you've got maybe another four inches of gear stick on top. But yes, it sits too high in the middle of the car and is not a natural position for your arm to to move across to so ergonomically that tunnel for me is too high it's okay with the armrest but then the the drinks holders sit between the armrest and the gear stick and that's precisely where you want your forearm to be so the design of either well certainly the 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 gear stick for me needs to be slightly lower and you need to put the drinks in a t- an entirely different location. I think my thing is, you, either you need to spec the automatic or prepare to be dehydrated, I'd probably say. Yeah. The net effect is, and the interesting thing is, while this is a cacophony of different styles, I genuinely really like it. I think it's really interesting, it's really sparky, it's different, it makes me, want to th- it makes me think I'd be happy to show my mate next door, look at my, fa- my, my, my interior. In a way, it kind of looks a bit futuristic. Now, it's always a danger because it means it will date, but at the moment, it's ahead of the curve, and I really, really like the overall design of this interior. I would agree, yeah. It is very now, but now can look old in, in 10 years' time, I suppose. Yeah, I've, I've no issue with it. I don't think they've overcomplicated it. I think, as you say, that a lot of use of different materials, but somehow they all fit together very nicely. So this is the, that's the front of the car, and that is a pretty much an overall. That is a success. Uh, I'm just going to quick shift. I haven't been in the back, so I don't know what, how it how you think. That, oh, I've just looked now. This is behind where I was sitting, and that's that's that's, that's a reasonable amount of space in this seat at the back, isn't there? Yeah, I, I got Joe to move the seat forward when I first sat behind him, but he said he's got plenty of room underneath the glove box there for his uh, legs, and then I've I had. Pretty much. I mean, we, what we did we do yesterday? Two and a half hours, mm-hmm. and there was a break of about uh, ten minutes part way through. But I didn't feel tired getting out. I didn't feel like. A, I mean, we did have a fair bit of kit in with us as well, so knees maybe a touch out of position for a little while. But uh, space. I mean, I'm not that tall a person. If if you're six foot plus, you may, you may you may uh, have a difference of opinion. But I, I thought it was perfectly fine. It's certainly big enough for three kids, and there are obviously three seat belts. There's three headrests. Um, there's a big central. I know we haven't fiddled with this. I'm going to see what the big central uh, armrest does that comes down, and it's got yeah, that's got cup holders in it as well. There's also a through low facility if you have skis. Not a major issue, I must admit, in my life. So all the um, things you expect, hardware in this, multiple colour fabric again. Overall, um, yeah, the Perso 3008, I'm sure if you were going on interior, you can see why it would be a, a major contender for car of the year because it is very now and it's very well designed. But now, the acid test, driving it. RadioLeMond.com Okay, and we are now off and running in the uh, Perso 3008 
DNAV 1.6, enjoying all of its 120 horsepower and 200 foot-pounds of torque. And in fairness, it isn't quite the quickest thing you're ever going to be involved with. There also seems to be a couple of rather large holes uh, between uh, the various settings on the gearbox. I think it's, it's got a pretty narrow torque range. A couple of times we're going uphill in our tour around the outside of Zeltweg, which is quite uh, hilly, and we ended up in a big hole of no drive, changing from first to second. So, um, obviously, everyone gets the smallest engine possible to reduce the emissions and keep the fuel economy up to a certain level, but not overly impressed with the general power, but it is a 1.6 of what you expect. I'm sure if you want more power, there are other versions of the car. Handling-wise, it's kind of very much dominated by, by the gearbox, then, very much dominated by the, by the tines, the steering wheel, the tactile element of it. Yeah, the connection with any car is effectively the... Uh, with your seat, either the pedals, but most importantly, it's the wheel. And a bad wheel can ruin a car, and a good wheel can make a bad car seem a lot better. And this is this is great. It's really good fun. It's really small. I'm not sure how much soccer mums are going to like it. I mean, it's going to appeal to uh, Mrs. Miggins from uh, from Carl Shorter. I'm not sure, but for the uh, the sportier driver, for the racer about the house, ah, it's not bad for a family car to have a little uh, chunky little steering wheel with all the the functions on it. The ride is pretty good actually. It's pretty comfortable. Um, it's uh, you know certainly we're on we're on Austrian roads, which is significantly better than the roads that uh, we're used to in the UK. They actually fill in the potholes, despite the fact they get a lot more because of the variance in the weather. It's very quiet. The wind noise is you can hear the wind noise a little bit. It was, it was wind noisy yesterday because it was a crosswind actually from the wind rather than the car. Um, but it's a quiet car. It's a comfortable car. You know, I think as as we go, it's a, it's a sort of thing that I feel that many people could learn to um, to love as a family friend, the faithful old Labrador Retriever in Sunset Bronze Copper. Sorry, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's difficult. To, it's, it's really just ticking all the boxes. Again, the gearbox is awkward. I mean, every time you go and have to change gear, it's like, oh god, do I have to really? That's the reason I'm running this this particular one a bit higher. So that's run out of puff already. So we, you know, even getting onto the motorway as we are now, you, you do kind of feel you have to uh, massage it. And now I'm, I'm going to move to sixth gear, and it's going to be like if I, if I floor it, it's like it's going to be like treading on jelly. It's just gooey, and nothing happens. Um, but then that is that is the fact that we got a you know a 1500 kilo, 1500 or 600 kilogram car with a 1.6 engine that is designed to do what it's doing now, which is cruise quite effortlessly, quite quietly at 120 kilometers an hour or whatever the, whatever your local speed limit may be it's, it's very difficult to, to say anything because the car really i suppose people aren't buying these sort of cars for the driving experience they're buying it for the things we've talked about before it's the the infotainment which keeps them up to date what's going on because they will just drive from a to b it's the the space it's the how good it looks in the driveway that's why these cars are bought you know you, you, the people you know who actually are looking for a driving experience are not going to be in an, in the marketplace for a crossover they'll be getting a you know an audi s3 or a, you know even some of the more sporty elements of the peugeot brand as it goes, you can hear just a bit now. You might be able to hear me. Just give a bit of wind noise now, 150, 120 miles, uh, miles an hour, kilometers an hour. But apart from that, it's a very comfortable ride and it, uh, it tracks reasonably well. Um, you don't feel in any way that it's not a solid, stable car. It is what it is. It is a very safe vehicle, uh, NCAP five stars for, for, for families. And if I, if I had a family I wanted to travel around rather than family I wanted to leave as often as possible, uh, then I'd travel around in this, I think. So, time to sum up. It's the, the Peugeot 3008 D-NAV Car of the Year 2017. And you can really see why. It's a beautifully put together piece of kit. It's modern. It's stylish. It's attractive. I suppose the thing, would I have one? I'm not the target audience. 
what I would say is I would be very happy to hire one anytime, especially if you've had an automatic gearbox. I do feel that the gearbox is the one thing that lets it down, both its location and the holes in the ratios. But I, you know, overall, this is a very good piece of kit. It's a good car. Different colour, different gearbox, and it gets a thumbs up from me. Johnny? I would agree. It, it is a bit clunky as far as the, uh, the gear changes are concerned, but when you look at its competitors, and we were just having a conversation off-air about it being... Uh, a rather than an SUV, it's a crossover. You know the sort. So you're slightly higher on the road. Um, we didn't mention actually the, the, the fact that the, the bonnet can flap around at times. I'm not sure whether that's specific to this car, well, yeah, and maybe that's a de- not necessarily a fully fully designed defect. But if you are looking for a car within this bracket, I can fully see why it's achieved Car of the Year. And you know the cars that it beat are definitely not comparable to this. But, yeah, if you're taking kids to school, trips back to the supermarket, and then the longer-distance runs on the motorway, it's it's brilliant. I think, you know, as you say, it, it purrs along once you get it up to speed. It does take a little while to get there, uh, but you can pack it full of people and pack it full of things, and it would be perfectly capable to that job. I think well done, Peugeot. You'll relaunch yourselves in a very positive way. Another real-world road test. Check out more at RadioLeMond.com.